morning, morning. Uh, very good morning to you all. It's nice to be in this room. I'm afraid my alarm clock's failed me this term of it. And I'm back. I'm sorry for being away. And I've been tasked with introducing Ken Closter this morning. Many of you will know Ken. Um, he's had a long, distinguished career in banking. Uh, now advises some of the most influential investors in the world. Um, he's the warden of Holy Trinity Brompton. Um, is a wonderful man and uh, he's going to share with us on King Hezekiah's morning. So let's welcome Ken. Uh, Sam, thank you very much and for being late. Um, I overslept um, and the airplane's doors wouldn't open. So I'm unshaven but I'm here. Um, I want to um, I want to speak. I want to look at a passage in one Kings, uh, no two Kings. Right a minute. Um, uh, two Kings chapter eighteen. Uh, and I want to talk about um, what does success look like. I, I absolutely love King Hezekiah. He is a very very great man. Um, I can shut up after this because. <laughs> You, I hope only to whet your appetite to find out more about him. He is an extraordinary man. Um, and um, King Hezekiah is one of the kings of Judah. Uh, as you know, the, the two kingdoms were divided. The kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of Israel. Uh, Hezekiah was the king of Judah. Why don't we just pray before we start. Father, thank you for bringing us together. And we pray in the name of Jesus that you would whet our appetite, that we might look to see what success really looks like, and be able to put it into practice. Amen. So Hezekiah chapter 18, uh, the 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 7, And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. And I want to look at this question of what does success look like. But let me just, I'm afraid we'll have to spend a bit of time just talking about the historical background to to where we've we've got to. So let me just read to, to just give you the background, and we'll look at the passage. So in, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. He was a young guy, uh, and he had young, enthusiastic views uh, on life, and he reigned for 29 years, which was a long time. And he was. Of the two kings of Judah that were compared positively to David, the father of the, the line of David, Hezekiah and Josiah were the two great ones that were outstanding. The others were sort of a waste of space in many ways. Hezekiah's father was an apostate who really sort of believed in God at the time. Um, so the only two of them, and together with Jehoshaphat, that he occurs in Chronicles, uh, that, that, so three together of the kings of Israel, were said to follow in that line of David. The reason why that was, was important is that all three of them did one thing, which is all three of them destroyed the places of idol worship and cultic worship that existed in Israel. And it's that which is that aspect of their, their kingship that is compared positively to David uh, and, and, the, and the Davidic line so that they removed the high places, they removed the places of, of idol worship and cultic worship. 
And even so far, as in the case of Hezekiah, he, the, 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 the serpent that had been fashioned, that we read in Numbers of, by Moses, in which people had, had, you know, come to, to be devoted to, he, he destroyed that as well. And so he, he, he knew that although things that looked in origin may be good, actually they can become extraordinary uh, parts of abuse. And then what we read is that there is a great big fight that went on, the northern kingdom, northern kingdom with Samaria as its capital, um, was then overrun by the Assyrians um, and um, taken away from, uh, from their home on their home territory. Judah, with its capital of Jerusalem, um, actually then survived that. And then the Assyrians try to invade Judah, um, and there is a, an extraordinary, extraordinary setup that goes on when the invasion takes place, because um, the invasion is a taunt to Judah and to, and to its gods. And we look at that uh, at the moment, uh, soon, uh, in, in a minute. Um, Hezekiah, a young man, I mean, he just starts up there, he realizes things have gone wrong, he sees the Assyrians are quite strong, so he makes a treaty with them, pays them off vast amounts of money. And then we have what is known as the Rabaka Dialogue. There's a dialogue between the, the emissaries from the king of Assyria uh, and, um, and, and the people of Israel, in which they say, it, it starts in this brilliant way, in which the king, the, the ambassadors, arriving to say, look, you're not going to manage, we're going to put siege, a siege around you, you're going to go, stop this con conversation about Yahweh, we've just sacked the northern kingdom, by the way, all this talk about God is, um, is, is nonsense, and they start rather cleverly, thus says the king, in exactly the same way as Isaiah, who was there at the time, would start his prophecy uh, against Assyria, which is the next piece of our passage, Isaiah then started with, thus says the Lord. So brilliantly, um, those that come to taunt us will always pretend to have an authority or to mimic the authority uh, that we have. Isaiah then turns up, um, saying the Assyrians are, are, are wanting to attack. Um, Hezekiah thinks, um, my gosh, what's going to happen? First thing he does is hear from the prophet of God. It's great. Goes into the temple, prays, prophet says, they're not going to succeed. Uh, Judah is going to be saved. Um, and um, he prophesies the fall of kings of, 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 of Sennacherib, who is now the, the, the king of, of Assyria. And then mysteriously, uh, we don't quite know how, 185,000 troops of the Assyrians killed. Um, and Israel is, uh, and Judah is then reestablished. Um, Hezekiah then gets terribly ill, uh, and it looks as though he's going to die. Um, Isaiah turns up cheerfully and says to him, by the way, sorry, I'll tell you, you're going to die. Um, but before he's down the stairs of the temple, God speaks to Isaiah and says, go back and tell him, I've heard his prayers, because meanwhile Isaiah prayed to God to be relieved from the, the illness, and he does that, comes back and says, oh, by the way, you're not going to die. All is well, and then um, Isaiah, um, Hezekiah comes to the end of his life, and he is consumed with pride, uh, and shows the Babylonians everything that he's got in this wonderful uh, 
of Wonder Jerusalem, and they then, he hears from Isaiah that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And he doesn't know what to do, but he accepts that it's going to happen, but you know what, not on my watch. He's going to be right. Um, Jerusalem will be destroyed. Uh, he'll be surviving. Um, and then he dies. So that is a snapshot of what went on. Time of political turmoil, a time of spiritual confusion, uh, particularly amongst the people of God, in a total muddle, um, and a time of, of, of you know of, of shrewdness that was needed in in, in the type of, of military activity that, that was required at the time to maintain the balance of power in that part of the world. Just think Iran, Iraq. Just think of how the how these unsettled parts of the world look to see well who's going to be where's the balance and influence going to lie. Now let's look at the scriptures. So Hezekiah comes to the throne. He's 25 years old. Um, he's a youth, um, and he reigns there for 29 years. Um, 2 Kings 18, verse 4. He removed the high places. He smashed the sacred stones. He cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it, and it was called Netusha. I love those words, because they are exactly what you expect a 25-year-old to do. And he runs amok. But he knows what he's doing. He is destroying some very, very basic ideas that have been lived with and stayed with, and the people have believed that the success of the nation of Israel was to be determined and to be assumed to be part of um, this the cultic worship at the time. It is worth remembering, you know, that sometimes things start good, they start well. The, the serpent, Moses, elevated it in the time of the desert for people to look up to. But soon something that starts quite good and quite well, even particularly, if I may say, in a religious tradition, can actually turn around and become cultic or become the opposite of what Yahweh would want them to do. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one liking him of all the kings of Israel, either before him or after him. That's why he's my favorite. He's an amazing guy, Hezekiah. Shrewd, clever, um, but trusting God. Knows what's important in life. Verse 6. Um, he held fast to the Lord. If you read it in the King James Version, which I absolutely uh, love, uh, it is he, the, the word they use is he clave. It, you know, it's a cleaving word. It's a word of, of uniting. It's a word of leaving something and tying up. He clave to the Lord and didn't stop following him. Now that's the extraordinary promise, isn't it? That, that actually if you cleave to him and you then follow him, the whole thing changes, doesn't it? And it's, it means leaving the things that are not right in our lives, cleaving to him. And he kept the commandments that the Lord had given Moses and the Lord was with him. I mean, it's a huge promise uh, for, for us that the Lord was with him. 
and he was successful in whatever he undertook. I mean, that is an extremely bold thing. To be successful in everything. If I want to be successful in a few things, um, say you, I hope. Yeah, I want to be successful this morning, but at the end of this, your appetite is wet, and say, great King Hezekiah, read more, read more about him. So that, so that it's very important that we understand that, that success is really quite important thing. It's an essential part of the Christian life, um, mostly denied and mostly sort of embarrassed. But if we have to realize that actually we are set to our calling when we fulfill that which God has called us to do, we need to be successful. But what does success look like? That's the question. Is it simply natural? Is it simply fulfilling my ambition? Is it simply self-fulfillment? Is it simply self-actualization? Is it simply being recognized by others uh, for what we do, for what we achieve? What does success look like? And that's the sort of thing I've been intrigued about for some time and why uh, I, I, I love Hezekiah. Uh, he rebelled against the king of Assyria and he did not serve him. Not only did he trust God, but he also knew that if you are going to trust God, you're going to have to choose who are the enemies of God and go against them. You can't live as his father, uh, the apostate did. You can't live in this sort of, you know, this sort of happy Switzerland, this happy balance, you know, sort of neutral, um, you know, a little bit of, little bit of God and a little bit of the local flock or whatever. Um, you've got to be able to say he chose God and that is what we want to say as well he trusted in the Lord he held fast to him and then we go on with the story as I've, as I've outlined to, to you so what, what, are the, what, is it looks, what does it look like Hezekiah is a man of God who succeeds in all the areas of life so if you just look at Hezekiah he you know, he was militarily, he was a military success. The first bit that he did was he went straight against the Philistines. Decided, you know, they're against the work of God. They went and, and, he, and he had a measure of success uh, in, 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 in that. And he knew that you needed to use military power in some times to defend. But it was never at the expense of his trust in God. Because when he realized, as he did, um, that he had made a mistake, and this is the great thing about about Hezekiah. And one of the things that I really think we have to come to terms with in a very different way in our society, which we have no theology for mistake. There's even somebody makes a mistake, you're out. You know, two very distinguished politicians, you know, do something stupid. Um, or whatever you might think. They're out. The CEO um, of you know, a major company, you know, makes a mistake. He's out. Um, the time, the tenure of a, of a chief executive is now, what, two and a half years of that. Um, we, we have no way of dealing with mistake. We don't actually know how to deal with it. Hezekiah knew he'd made a mistake in the attack on the Philistine. And the first thing he says in verse 14, I have, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me and I'll pay you whatever you demand of me. In other words, I've screwed up. And if I screwed up, I'm going to make a restitution. And he takes all the money they've got, including the money, the, the gold from the temple. There is no sacred or secular divide. Hezekiah gave them all the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and the treasuries of the royal palace. 
So he had a completely integrated view of God. But the resources of the temple, the resources of the royal palace, all came from the same source. So he, he didn't sort of say, well, this is God's stuff, this is work stuff. No, there was one integrated approach. And he said, I'm sorry, I screwed up. And says to the king, you know, here is a reparation payment. And that bought him a bit of time. Um, and, and he was able to do Militarily, financially, he had huge wealth. Um, and he increased the, the, the riches of Judah. Um, and the Babylonian envoys actually recognized that in their forms to him. Politically, he was a shrewdy. I mean, he knew, he knew that he had to have some an alliance. He had an alliance with, with the Egyptians. And the Egyptians um, were the ones that were sort of keeping him protected from the mighty Assyrians. Um, and he knew that you needed a bit of both. Um, but he also did some very practical things, which is he supplied Jerusalem with water. Uh, he took the he took on some particularly difficult political choices to sort of force people of land to get the water into Jerusalem to enable Jerusalem to exist um, in a time of siege. I, I, I think of this, but you know, he's a good man who can't get down. Napoleon. Uh, when he was sent to the island of St. Helena, um, not, not a place where anybody had ever been, um, was, um, was stuck in the jail there, but within no time he started reconstructing the sewers and the water supply on the island. So you know, there are you know, even times when we think that you know, life gets really tough, um, we can still do the ordinary stuff that we're good at. In his case, it was good at commandeering people to do things. Um, and he was healthy a good life, long life we're going to be healthy we're going to continue living longer unless accident or a big sea hits you you will live longer than your predecessors your fathers and good health if it's in this room of course we have things that are wrong of course there are illnesses that, that happen but just like Hezekiah, but he, all these things, both militarily, financially, politically, and in his health, he knew that he had to trust God. He knew the source from which he was, um, he was able to draw the strength. And he knew what was the source, which was the trust in God, and what was not, which was the trust in human abilities, human skills, human, uh, human activities of all the, the nations around him. I've just been in uh, in in uh, in Africa, and yesterday I was in the you know passing a place where in, in South Africa, where the original uh, people who had travelled uh, from the Cape to the northern parts of of South Africa thought they discovered the source of the Nile, and the place is called translated from the Dutch meaning the source of the Nile, but of course the Nile is you know, 20,000 miles away from, from there. But that's what they thought. And it's very important for us to recognize that the source of things is very important. Because if you think that is the source of your energy, your life, and it is not, then you're going to get into trouble. If you think that your skill, the people around you, the alliances that you make, the friendships you make, the, the work that you're doing, and you think that is the source of your strength, uh, then you're going to un misunderstand entirely the nature of the source, because the source is not that of God, it lies from within me. But of course, 
Hezekiah knew that it came that it came from God. And of course he left himself a legacy, the things that kings most want. I was talking to my wife about this question, that we were on holiday, about a legacy. Do you want to leave it? Is it right to want to leave a legacy? And of course most people misunderstand legacy. They think it's something that an aunt leaves you, or that it starts when you die. Actually, your legacy starts now. Your legacy is what you're doing now. The lives of people you're affecting now. The changes you're implementing now. So to that extent, yes. That is what we want. We need a legacy and should have a legacy, which is, which is what is, what is there. So success is not disavowed in scripture. On the contrary, it is, it is, it is bigged up. It's a cornerstone of the human condition. But it needs to be informed by the other legs of a three-legged stool. So let me, let me, let me look at, 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 at Hezekiah again. There were three things that I sort of empathize with and that I hope you will too. Hezekiah did well, he made a lot of money. He did right. He was chose to follow um, the, the, um, the moral way. When things were wrong, he, he put them right. And he did good. He was able to build up the city uh, around him and affect the people around him. And I think that if one looks at life, um, at our lives as humans, then it is like a stool that's got three legs to it. And those three legs need to be in place, the financial, the moral, and the spiritual. The great financial crisis that we've come through, hopefully we're through, I'm sure, um, occurred because, in my view, essentially most, most commentators thought that you could divide up the human personality. You could say, I want your, I want you to be a tough, hard-working, you know, business person from Monday to Friday. And forget this other stuff. Just keep to the financial pro uh, projection. You can be a father and a football player and a family man at the weekend. You can indulge yourself there. But this is what I want for you this week. And then, of course, we realize that actually human beings are not made like that. They're completely made as one person. So to the extent that you're under stress, you're under pressure, you're about, you're anxious, you're divorcing your wife, your you know your your external life is affecting your your life at work. The whole thing came tumbling down because we didn't think that the stool needed the ethical, the banking crisis, and people took completely um, different views on what was right and wrong. We didn't think that there was any kind of need for spirituality, i.e., the search for the non-material. All we needed was one a stool that sat on one spindle, the thing fell over, as it would. But Hezekiah understood that there were three legs to the stool. Firstly, he did what was right. It wasn't easy, but he did what was right. He smashed the idols, and he brought the worship back into Jerusalem. The complaint of all the prophets was that, you know, people were trying to take the worship out of Jerusalem, uh, into shrines around the place. Actually, it was in Jerusalem. That's where there was the religious reform, unpopular. And he refused to serve the Assyrians because he knew that would be an easy decision. But he sees them as the right decisions. And so he took the, he took the moral stand, he took the ethical stand, he did right. His spirituality was that he did, he trusted his relationship with God as the foundation of his success. 
not as a sort of optional extra, either God, if you kind of turn up and bless, but actually, you know, I can't do that. That's the first reaction when he hears of the, the taunting of the Assyrians was to go straight to Isaiah and then straight onto, onto his knees. He had a, he had what I would call a, a realistic spirituality. In other words, it was a spirituality that was based on the real world. I mean, too often I talk to people, um, and they have a kind of detached spirituality. It's a sort of excitable spirituality. It occurs, you know, mostly on a yeah, Sunday evening for an hour or so, unless they're Pentecostals, which is two hours. But, I mean, it's a, it, 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 it doesn't sort of relate to the real world. But, 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 but in his case, you know, there is, um, when, when he hears... That, that the whole place is going to be attacked. He's praying. is unbelievable. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers. This is the messenger saying to him, game's up, we're going to attack you. Nobody has survived uh, an attack from the Assyrians. Game's up. Um, give it. Then he went to the temple, 19 verse 14, then he went to the, up to the temple of the Lord and spread out the letter before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed, Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, hear. Open your eyes, Lord. See, listen to the words uh, Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. In other words, he, I mean, it, is, it's, it's, it is a prayer of recognition. You, God, are the one that actually exists and is able to, to run the whole world. All the kingdoms of the world derive their authority from you. You are the source. Here is this man taunting you. Can't you see what he's doing? But he spreads the letter. It's as if he takes the bit of paper. Do we do that? Do you take the bit of paper that offers you the new job? Looks at uh, a proposal for a new business if you want to start. Do you take it, put it before God, go through it? I'm sure he prayed through the thing line by line. He didn't just sort of leave it there and say, oh, well, you know. He's praying as he sees this man. These, these people are taunting the living God. Can't be right. He knew that he could place all his future in God's hands. That's the keenness. It's not a bit of your future in God's hands. I can do a bit of the future. It might. God, what you know? You look after this little bit, this sort of religious activity. But you know about the work? You know, got to get on with things. But no, Hezekiah, as, as, as ourselves, need to know that God is actually wanting us to trust Him in all, in everything that we do. So He's financial. He did well. The treasury was full of money. It was the envy of people at the end of his life. Mistake, but at the end of his life, he sort of showed everybody, look how wonderful all this is, with all the, with all the jewels and the money that is in the treasury. So he did well. But they all go together. Success without morality is corrupt and immoral. But success without the spiritual is empty. You see that? They run together. And we should not try and atomize our lives. We look them inside. Always remind people, the principal work of the Spirit of God 
in our age is not to make us more religious, but to make us more human. Do you know, when Jesus Christ came onto the earth in the great uh, baptism narratives, he, when the dove came down, many people think that the dove came down and therefore came upon him as, and, and, and was a sign of his divinity. If that were the case, the first thing he would have done would be do what divine people would do, do miracles. The first thing he does as he comes out of, of the Jordan is to be tempted. Only humans get tempted. Gods don't get tempted. He goes through the temptation, but it's a sign of his humanity. The Spirit of God is the sign of humanity on Jesus. And it's a reminder to us that that, that humanity is at the base of it. They run together we need to recover the positive ways of connecting ourselves to the energy of the spirit of the living God within our lives. So how can we ensure that our successes are rooted in a moral approach to doing good, doing right, doing well? As a part and then you see that the sweeping religious reforms of Hezekiah show that he knew where the true values lie. Um, you know, these high places and places of worship have been existed for generations. It was sort of part of the way of life. You know, when people say to them, they're often, people often say, well, you know, that's just the way of modern life. This is the way we live. You know, we've got modern smarts, and um, that's how we live our life. It's got to be on. We're the always-on generation. Really? Who says that? So he knew that there were certain things that had to be destroyed. No qualm about it. Even though they'd been ingrained into the way of people's, people's living, and the sort of the smashing and, and uh, the, the, the way he attacked the, the whole nature of, the, of religious activity that wasn't rooted in the Spirit of God. That uh, serpent had been a great sort of strength to the people of Israel throughout its journey, but it becomes vacuous. It had been a substitute for the living God, and he was he was driven to say, "This idol, this totem that you have put in there, get it, get away with it. It's got a corrupting influence. It's not leading you to God. In fact, it's distracting you. It's kind of an activity. If you think, as long as I look up to this." to the serpent, I will be all right. No. You'll be all right because you do well, you do right, and you do good. Which is what he was demonstrating. He had a pure heart. You know, he was prepared to strip the temple bare to persuade the Assyrians not from attacking. His heart was pure. He wasn't looking for stuff for himself. Or even for the nation. That purity of heart. So we create idols that stand in the place of God. We create barriers to God coming in. Some of them of our own construction. Uh, the construction that I have of myself, or, or the way I relate to people, uh, and the construction that the world imposes on us. But we need to find positive ways of connecting with God. We've got to let go in order to take hold. We can't let go and take hold at the same time. You can't let go of the things that are distracting your life and hold on to the things that God is calling you to. It doesn't work. And Hezekiah is a great example 
of how you have to deal with the first stuff. First things he did, first things he did was to deal with the idolatry of the age, the things that distract us from God. Um, and that is a very important part. Because we need a new way of, of finding the values for our ways of life. Are there traditions that we cling to that become corrupted from their original need? True success means you've got to look at the stuff. Then Isaiah, uh, Hezekiah was great in trying things for himself. Um, he paid the tribute to the Assyrians. He stripped the, the royal palace and the temple. Paid them the money. He sought an alliance with the foreign powers, perhaps the Egyptians, um, because. For Hezekiah, he knew that actually the trust of God was not antithetical to taking actions on his own. He knew that you, do, you both act and you trust. Um, so, you know, he looked to this world for worldly solutions. And it's very important that we do. But it's not because it's opposed to God. You're not being this unfaithful because you're looking to this world for solutions. No, it's part of the whole way in which we respond to God. To so say, for example, in the end, when, um, when Hezekiah has this terrible illness and Isaiah turns up and says, you've got this illness, you're going to die, and then he, he scurries back and says, no, 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 sorry, you know, it's all okay, being reversed. Um, because Hezekiah had prayed, um, I've heard your prayer, and I've seen your tears, I will hear you. On the third day from now, this is 20, verse 5, on the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria, I will defend the city for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah says, prepare a poultice of figs. They did so and applied it to the boil and he recovered. What do you notice about that? God speaks first. The deal is done. It's going to be healed. They live for 15 years. It doesn't mean to say that they still don't use a human remedy, getting the poultice of the figs to put it on whatever was, whatever was wrong with it. The two run together. The acts of God and the, and the responses of, of our human activity. And of course he failed. And God teaches us through his failure. What did he learn more than anything else from his failure? He learned that, uh, that in his failure, uh, when you see something going wrong, it is, you know, sort of, don't linger, do learn. The mantra to help you. Don't linger. Don't linger over it. He knew he did wrong with the Philistine. And the moment he realized that, he said, right, I'm going to make a reparation payment to you. I'm going to pay, pay you off. Um, and he didn't linger on He didn't move on uh, to, to, uh, to life. So the failure will come. It's part, of, um, it's part of our life. But because the trust is that it is God that has got everything in his and there is a reciprocal relationship between him and Yahweh. Um, 
He tried to change God's mind. And God said to, through Isaiah, you're going to die. He tried to change God's mind. Our prayers, we don't have a static God who is impervious to our requests. He heard his plea. He heard his prayers. He responded. Now, I didn't want to get into a, a long debate on, on Calvinism, but I do think that's what he realized. He realized that this God is, allows us massive freedom and that God responds to the, you know, to the, to the change in our hearts. Desire. I think sometimes we can be scared of making requests of God. We've never deterred him. You know, he, he, he made bold requests. He didn't make demands of God. He made bold requests to destroy these people. Why? Because they're ridiculing your name. I don't know that we've got any real understanding of what it is the offense to God day to day of our society is continuing to ridicule the name of the ways of God, the people of God. It's a kind of practice. But that ridicule will not go unpunished. Otherwise you've got to apologize to all these people. Who God is God. Not going to be ridiculed. The question is whether we want to be part of a way in which we could live, in which we ask him boldly to show mercy rather than judgment in and through Jesus Christ, which Zachariah, of course, is a, is, a, is a picture that God will come and show mercy to, to, to us and to the people around us. Should we be bold enough to ask bold requests of God and then understand that that is what he, that is what he wants us to do? Um, and we all have our weaknesses. Hezekiah had, 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 had one or two. And if you look at the, you know, the, 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 some of the great kings of, 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 uh, of, Israel, of, of, of Judah and Israel, God's I mean, David was lustful. Josiah was impetuous. Hezekiah was filled with pride. Towards the end of his life, um, when the, um, in, in chapter 20, the envoys from Babylon come uh, to see whether he, how well he was, I thought he was ill, um, and they might just sort of be able to attack, they suddenly realize that far from that, um, he uh, was hale and hearty. Um, and when the prophet says to him, Hezekiah, what did you show them? Verse 15, oh, there's nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Um, and he showed them everything, and he wouldn't show up. And then, you know, that was, you know, it was a, it was a failure on his part. He failed, uh, as he knows, in the first attack on the Philistines. When he got ahead of himself, he reined himself in. He humbled himself. So what are our weaknesses? What are your weaknesses? Every person who wants to be successful needs to have a shrewd understanding of their own weakness. You can't do anything else. But also to know the limits. You know, Isaiah knew that, uh, Hezekiah knew the limits of what he could and couldn't do. For, for us, there is a sort of limitless world. We've got everything, great opportunities, technologies, advancing at a space, of, you know, it flatters us. But there are no limits to our way of life. He knew that he had to have the responsibility 
liked Judah. He did it well, politically, militarily, financially. But he knew that he'd have a limit to his influence, a limit to what he could do. Yahweh would, at the end, be God of the people that he had chosen. So we will still argue and plead with God that we recognize just we need to find the limits of which we go it our own and allow God. But he knew that the first thing that came was first the relationship with God. I, I think here of the, the, the prayer of Reinhold Niebuhr, who uh, said, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I think Hezekiah showed this. So let's conclude. Success is no bad thing, but it's got to come within a moral and spiritual dimension. Otherwise it's empty. Knowing what is truly important is crucial for success. Hezekiah knew that if he got right Judah's relationship with God, Judah itself would prosper. This doesn't mean we'll be rich if we get a right relationship with God, but there is a sense in which we will have a much more fulfilled life. Success means sacrifice. It's possible to know, to, to have both. You've got to let go of the things that have become corrupted and distorted in, and become idols in our lives. And we shouldn't be afraid of trying things for ourselves. Trial and error is an important part of the walk of every single Christian. We know the things that work and the things that don't in order that we might learn for the future. But ultimately, we recognize that God is ultimately in control. We're not afraid of wrestling with God. We're not afraid of asking God to change his mind. We're not afraid of asking God to act in a way in which we believe is right. We wrestle with it, but ultimately, we would be wary of taking pride in our successes. Everything that we have can be gone in an instant. And that is what Hezekiah forgot at the end of his life. He realized, he showed everybody all this wonderful stuff he hadn't realized, that it could be gone in an instant. And then Isaiah comes, it's not a Hollywood ending to the story, Isaiah comes and says, the great destruction of Jerusalem lies ahead. And Hezekiah, who can blame him, says, yeah, but not on my watch. It will come later. So we learn from him that he was, as, he was successful in everything that he did because he clave, he clave to God, he held God to Yahweh. And that is the transforming energy of his life. Shall we stand in prayer? Father, we thank you for being here this morning. We believe that you have called us to be here, to be in this place, not by random accident, but by your And we pray now that you would come and touch the hearts of every single person here at Denmark to whatever lies ahead for the rest of the day. Just pray for, pray for you, pray for myself, that we would want to do well. Do well at what we do. Be profitable, be good in our businesses, be successful in what we do. 
also that we want to do right. We want to make the right moral choices. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be within us to give us that reminder of the right moral choices that the day brings. We want to do good. We want to feel good. We want to feel good that we know your presence is with us. Your spirit rests on us. That we feel the presence of the living God changing, molding, shaping us for this Thank you that he was successful in everything that he did.